We're going through the book of Ephesians in this series, and we're calling that series New Humanity because the astonishing thing about this letter is that the Apostle Paul wrote this inside a dark, damp Roman prison, and he writes these to churches under trouble. And what does he write about? He writes about their new identity in Christ. He writes about who they are as God's new people. And we've been saying that the reason he talks about that is because to the degree that we access the richness of our identity in Christ, to that proportion, you're going to receive God's immense power and wisdom and joy. And it's not just a little drop of power here and there. We're talking about being filled to overflowing fullness. That's what we can see in our passage today. Let me read to you Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is one of the most fascinating prayers of Paul. Down there in verse 19, he says, I'm praying that you Christians may be filled to all the fullness of God. He's praying for spiritual maturity to the max. This is the pinnacle of the Christian faith. This is what Christians are meant to be. Like a flower that blossoms in season, so also Christians are meant to mature from their emptiness to overflowing fullness. Now, what does that exactly mean? And what is the path to spiritual maturity? How do we get there? Now, from Paul's prayer, we can extract three things. And let's talk about this in three ways. Let's talk about the reason, the key, and the steps. The reason why we ought to pursue spiritual maturity. And what's the key to unlocking that maturity in us. And what are the steps to take. So let's look, number one, at the reason. Now, you might be wondering why we have to talk about the reason. Because obviously, everyone wants to become mature. But let me spend a few moments on this point because I want you to go beyond wanting it. I want you to be desperate for it. So desperate, in fact, that you would pray for this with urgency just like you would during a great crisis. See, this is what Paul does. He prays for this with urgency. He says, I bow my knees praying for this. Now, what would make a person so desperate for spiritual maturity. 
Two reasons. It's because it's crucial for the fullness of our joy and to bring God glory. It's crucial for the fullness of our joy and God's glory. So first, it's crucial for our joy. Notice Paul says, this prayer is all about filling up the Christian to the fullness of God. It's so that Christians may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now, that seems mystical, but in the New Testament, almost always that term means a new way of life. It's to be so spiritually full that it changes the way you live. Now, let me put it like this. Ask yourself this. What's it like to be empty? What's it like to be spiritually empty? We've all been there at some point in our lives, right? And perhaps some of us are down here right now. Now, what does that feel like? When a person is spiritually empty, they don't have enough strength in them. A small problem is enough to make them anxious throughout the day. They just don't have the strength to carry it with peace. Deep down, that person knows that they are fragile and weak. And so they're just waiting for that huge crisis to explode, which eventually happens to everyone, right? They know that when that huge crisis explodes in their life, they're going to crumble and fall apart easily. So that person is living always insecure, always living, as it were, on the edge of their seats. Well, how about being spiritually full? What would it look like? If a person is spiritually full, if that is you, then you're going to have a glorious inner strength in you, a strength that will carry you through life no matter what life throws at you. If tomorrow morning, for example, you encounter a great failure, you encounter a great crisis, perhaps your family discovers a huge financial crisis, you might be lost as to how your family might recover, but you can face it with courage, with strength, with peace, because God is keeping you afloat. Or on the other end, perhaps you achieve great success. You know, a spiritually empty man is going to shrivel up. They're going to become arrogant, self-absorbed, discontent. But if you're spiritually full, you can handle the spiritual dangers of success. You can remain humble and down-to-earth and content. In other words, if you're spiritually full, you're just as ready for failure as you are for success. Even if terrible suffering comes your way, say a terrible illness or you lose a loved one, even if it happens to you, you can endure with strength and courage and hope because God's with you. If a complicated problem comes up, you shall have God's wisdom to work it out. If you are spiritually filled, you will be provided for in your inmost being for any situation, any crisis, any temptation. Do you see then how crucial it is for us to be spiritually full in order for us to be fully happy? Without it, we can never be fully happy, but with it, we can never be fully unhappy. I once read a quote by Elizabeth Elliot that said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. There it is. 
Do you want to be fully happy? The secret is Christ fully in me, Christ spiritually filling me from the inside out. So it's crucial for our joy, and it's also crucial to bringing God glory. You see, when Paul prays for this, what does he say? He says he's praying for this reason. For what reason? He's referring to the previous chapters where he talked about God's eternal cosmic purpose. God's plan is to rescue sinful people completely by grace. And by doing so, he establishes this new kind of redeemed humanity called the church. And the church is going to be God's inheritance, his prized possession. The church is his body, his fullness. This is what God's purpose is. This is what God is doing. This is what God's heart is all about. Therefore, for this reason, Paul prays that they may be filled to the fullness of God. So Paul's saying, he's saying, Lord, I know this is your plan. I know this is where your heart is. You want to fill us to your fullness. Let your will be done. Have your way in us. Let us be filled to fullness because this is your purpose. In other words, seeking spiritual maturity is God's primary eternal purpose for you. So if you've ever wondered, Lord, what's my calling in life? Lord, what am I supposed to be doing? What's my mission in life? It's this. Seek spiritual maturity. That's your primary calling in life. Everything else is secondary. Seek this. Put a lion's share of your attention and effort to being spiritually full. Because doing this fulfills God's purpose for you and it's going to bring Him the glory He deserves. That's why back in chapter 1, Paul keeps repeating that accomplishing God's purpose results in God's praise. Look at this. Three times he says, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. And again in verse 11, according to the purpose of Him, so that we might be to the praise of His glory. And then verse 13, you also to the praise of His glory. That's all the reason we need. If by seeking spiritual maturity, we can bring God honor and praise and glory, then that's all we need. Seek spiritual maturity because it's crucial for the fullness of your joy in this life and to bringing God glory. So then, what's the key then? What's the key that can unlock that spiritual fullness in us? Number two, let's talk about the key. Now, if you look at how Paul prays, he prays for three prayer requests here. He prays that you may have strength so Christ may dwell in your hearts. He prays that you may have strength to know the love of Christ. And he prays that you may be filled to the fullness of God. Now, each of these prayers are building on top of each other. It's building up to the climax in number three. In other words, every Christian 
to reach the fullness of God, they have to walk through number one and number two. This is the key. So if you look closer at the first prayer request, Paul says that he's praying that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, the crucial word there is the word dwell. Remember, Paul's talking to Christians here. And the moment you became a Christian, the Spirit of Christ is immediately sealed into you. Christ dwells in you, right? So he's not talking about conversion here. What then is Paul talking about that Christians would have Christ dwell in them? The way to understand this is that it's one thing to dwell, it's another to dwell. Do you remember those times before COVID when you went out of town and you stayed at a hotel or, or at an Airbnb? The place might be nice and you have a good time there, but after a long trip and you finally come back home, you let out a sigh of relief and all this fatigue that is built up in you just comes out. Why? It's not like you didn't get to rest at the hotel, right? But you were just dwelling there, but you're not dwelling. There's no place like home, right? What Paul prays for is that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that Christ would make his home in our hearts. Well, what's the difference? It's the difference between someone who's dating and someone who's married. You know, you might be dating someone, and no matter how long you've been dating each other, as long as you're living separate homes, your relationship eventually comes to a ceiling that you can't break through. But once you get married, and you start to live together as one, you share the same home, you start to know each other in whole new ways, in deeper ways, and the relationship intensifies, right? Whatever's bad becomes worse, whatever's good becomes better. When Christ comes to dwell in you and makes his home in your hearts, you start to know him better. And his presence becomes closer. And his love and his strength and his joy, that relationship intensifies. Like pouring gas onto a bonfire, it just intensifies like that. Well then, question is, how can we have Christ dwell in our hearts? What would make him feel at home? And the answer is obedience. It's obedience. See, in this great chapter in John, here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Christ comes to make his home in the heart that obeys. Why? Well, let's be clear what it is not about. It's not that if you obey, God will love you more. No, 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 no. His love does not go up and down like that. Remember, God loved you to the heavens even while we deserved hell. So how then can our obedience make him love us even more? That's not how it works. His love does not change like that. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you, period. Nothing can change that. 
He loves you unfailingly through Christ. Well then, what does our obedience have to do with that? The answer is, when Christ comes to dwell in you, He comes as He is. He's not going to come pretending to be something else. He comes as He is, and He is the true King. He's the true Lord over our lives. And therefore, for Him to dwell in us, we have to step down out of the throne of our lives and let Him sit there. We have to surrender. We have to surrender the final word of our lives and let Him have the final say. You let Him reign as king, and therefore, obey. That's what welcomes Christ in to make his home in our hearts. How can Christ make his home in a heart that keeps stealing the throne away from him? It just isn't the way it works. So to obey is how you make Christ at home in your hearts. You have to say, Lord, okay, I'm giving up. You can have this throne. I'll do what you say. Have your way in me. That's why obedience always matters. And yes, it's painful. It's a kind of dying to yourself. But it's also the key for us to experience the second part of spiritual maturity. Look at Paul's second prayer request. He says, that you, being rooted and grounded in that love where Christ dwells in you, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You're going to know the love of Christ. Now you might be wondering, wait a minute, don't all Christians know the love of Christ? Well, Yes, but not really. Every Christian knows about the love of Christ, yes, but not truly, not fully. The word know there is a very deep, intimate experience. It's to experience it in your inmost being, in your heart of hearts. It's to know the love of Christ in your inmost being. You know, I once read a quote by Daniel Steele, who was the first president of Syracuse University. And he was writing to a friend, and he was describing to his friend about this revival that was happening in his prayer life. And here's how he describes it. He says, Almost every week, and sometimes every day, a pressure of his great love comes down upon my heart. The inner spot has been touched, and my heart's flintiness has been melted in the presence of love divine, Jesus, the altogether lovely. That's what it means to know his love. The inner spot has been touched. Or let me put it this way. It's one thing, you know, when you're stuck in your home and you're looking at Instagram or YouTube and you're admiring this beautiful Barakai beach, right? Beautiful. But it's another thing totally to actually be in that beach. And your feet are buried in the sand, your toes are wiggling in it, and you feel the salty breeze, the hot sun, the powerful waves crashing into you. It's totally different. 
Paul says, go and know the love of Christ like you're actually in the beach, like your toes are wiggling in the sands of his love. See, when you know the love of Christ in this way, it's no longer some mental concept. It's not some doctrine. It's not some cold comfort. No, it's something real, something warm to your hearts. It's there. The inner spot has been touched. It's to know the love of Christ in such a way that His love becomes more real, more wonderful, more important, and more moving than even your family's love, than even the respect of other people, than even financial or professional success. It's more real, more wonderful than any of that. It's more. And you now know that the psalmist, when he says, your love is better than life, he's not exaggerating. His love is truly better than life. You see, when that happens for you, all the other things in life, all the other loves out there become secondary and they lose their control over you. You're not as controlled by them anymore. You're not as insecure about them anymore. You're less anxious, less afraid, less upset about these things because the inner spot has been touched and you're changed. You're completely changed. See, what amazes me about Paul's prayer is that Paul is saying, you cannot truly change. You cannot become the person God meant you to be. You cannot become spiritually filled and mature unless sometimes an incredible joy floods into you and an overwhelming love comes into your hearts. That's the key. That's the key to real life change. That's the key to spiritual maturity. It's not some 12-step program. It's not some spiritual pilgrimage. It's not some church movement. No, it's to be overwhelmed by the love of Christ. It's to have that love explode out inside you. Do you have that? Do you want it? Do you want more of it? Then let's talk about number three, the steps to walking along that path. Now, the next chapter, and then in the following weeks, we're going to see that Paul talks more about the practical steps, about how Christians can be filled to spiritual fullness. But in this prayer, I want to extract for us two general principles here that shows us how do we walk along this path to spiritual maturity. Two principles. It's that we need to be praying for it and to wrestle for it. Pray and wrestle. So first, you need to be praying for it. There's a reason why Paul doesn't give us three steps to spiritual maturity. He could have just said, you know, Christ dwell in you and you know the love of Christ. No, no, no. Instead, Paul prays. Why? Because notice every single prayer Request requires God to come give you power. You need God's power. You need God to fill you up. In other words, ultimately, this is a gift. It's a gift and you have to pray for it. You have to seek for it through prayer. 
And there's a sense of waiting there. There's a sense of stillness and waiting for God to give it to you, right? But on the other hand, you also have to be wrestling for it. Notice the word comprehend there is commentaries will say it's an unusual Greek word. In the NIV translation, it's to grasp the love of Christ. It's actually an aggressive word. It's a word that in some contexts, it's, it's to wrestle someone to the ground. Or in some cases, it's to overpower and rob someone. Now, Paul's not saying we should overpower and rob God, but we're supposed to wrestle with God for these blessings. Do you know the story of Jacob? Do you remember that? Jacob is on his way back home after this long, difficult journey. And we're told about this incredibly mysterious encounter with God near the Jabbok River. We're told that Jacob gets into a wrestling match with God. This is in Genesis 32. Jacob and God are, are wrestling with each other. And Jacob has a hold on God. And God touches Jacob's hips and it's instantly put out of joints, right? But Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then God says, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name shall now be Israel, which means he struggles with God. And then God says, you have prevailed because I'm going to grant you the blessing that you struggled with me for. Paul says, wrestle with God until the blessings are broken out into your lives. That means we have to be wrestling with God's words and you study it and you meditate on it and you contemplate on it and you struggle with all your beings to obey it, to apply it into your lives. You hold on to God. You wrestle with God until the blessings break out. You say to him, Lord, I won't let you go until you bless me. That's you're wrestling with God. See, on the one hand, we should be praying for this because this is a gift. So there's a sense of stillness, a sense of waiting. But on the other hand, you're also actively engaged and intentionally wrestling for this. You put in effort, you put in strategies, you make an intentional effort to wrestle with God for these blessings. And we need both. See, most Christians, we tend to emphasize one over the other. Some Christians tend to be prayerful, but they are passive. Others are more active go-getters, and they're, they're actively engaged, but they tend to neglect prayerful dependence. But we need to hold both together. It's to fully do both. That's how we achieve spiritual maturity. We need to have a quiet stillness in our hearts and an active wrestling in our lives to seek God's spiritual fullness. And Paul says, you're not supposed to be doing this alone. You should do it with all the saints. In other words, if you want a deeper relationship with God, then you need to have a deeper relationship with His people. There's just no other way. You have to be struggling and praying together. You need to be trying to apply and obey God's Word together. 
You need to keep holding on to God in prayer together. You need to be seeking to serve the community together. There's no other way. Pray and wrestle for this together with the church. In this way, God's going to fill us up. God's going to let the love of Christ explode out into our hearts, out into our lives. This is the path to spiritual maturity. Now, let me end this with a story that illustrates the entire message. The theologian Don Carson tells this story when he preached on this passage. He tells this story about his retired former colleague, Perry Downs. Perry and Sandy, his wife, they had two daughters of their own. But they also served as foster parents for about 30 years. So they took in these kids who had no homes, and they took care of them until they could be adopted into a good home. Some kids stayed with them for weeks, some stayed for months. And at one point, they were asked to take in twin boys. Perry and Sandy at first hesitated because their homes were already full, but in the end, they accepted and decided to take care of the boys. Now, when these twin boys came, they saw that these boys were clearly terrified. When they were put to bed that night, they didn't even make any noise at all. Half an hour later, Perry came into the room and he touched their pillows and it was wet and soft with tears. These boys were crying to sleep without any noise. And later on, Perry found out more about the background of these twin boys. Apparently, in some of their previous foster homes, they had been beaten up. In others, they had been abused. Perry and Sandy had these twin boys taken to a child psychologist to be examined. And they were judged, quote, irremediably emotionally crippled. Turns out these boys stayed with Perry and Sandy for three and a half years. Eventually, these boys were adopted to a wonderful Christian family. But before they were adopted, Perry and Sandy had these boys taken again to a psychologist, and they were judged now to be in the normal spectrum of a normal emotional maturity. Even though in the past, these twin boys were deeply wounded by sinful people, completely deprived of love. But now, after three and a half years of wonderful, gracious love by Perry and Sandy, these boys were healed and restored and filled back up to maturity. We know for a fact that kids need this kind of love to develop and mature. And that's what the twin boys found in the homes of Perry and Sandy. They found the love they needed. One of the boys became an Olympic medalist, and the other became a high school teacher. They were able to heal and be restored and be filled back up to where they need to be. But our situation as Christians are different. Many times, we're the ones who deprive ourselves of that love we need. We run away. We brush it aside. We neglect the love of Christ that is poured out for us. 
But when we do that, we cripple ourselves spiritually and even emotionally. My friend, what we need is right here. It's in the love of Christ. Know Him. Surrender to His love. Pray for it and wrestle for His love to become explosively real in your inmost being so that you may be healed and restored and filled to the fullness of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, out of your great love, Lord, you saved us by grace. So, Lord, we bow down now in prayer, asking that you strengthen us in our inmost being through your Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We pray this so that we may be grounded and rooted in love, so that we may comprehend with all the saints, Father, the all-encompassing love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We pray this, Lord, so that we may be filled with all the fullness of who you are in our lives. We pray this, Lord, because this is where your heart is. We pray this for our joy and for your glory. So, Father, we know you are far more abundantly able to do all that we ask right now. So we ask for this, and we ask that you answer it according to the riches of your glory. Thank you, Lord, for the love that you pour out into our hearts. May it become real in our inmost being. We pray all this so that we may glorify you, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the lover of our souls. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining our online worship. I pray that this message fills you up spiritually. God bless you.